0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit Christchurchlondon.org. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Let's pray as we start. Father God, I bring my words this morning as an offering to you. Um, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would work through them and that we might hear something of what you're trying to say to us. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I'm John, uh, married to Bethany, and we lead one of the community groups here. Uh, we, as is most common in this church, we have three of the small young people running around all the time. And uh, I'm starting to feel like an old timer now, because I've been here nearly five years in the church. So, I'm starting to feel like an old timer. Bethany would say, well, you're old anyway. So, uh, but anyway. So uh, it was our wedding anniversary a few weeks ago. Uh, we went out for a nice walk. We took in the pilgrim's way. I, I like the idea of that. I think life's a pilgrimage. And, um, and then, you know, God's really been kind of just putting things, in, in, like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle in front of me as, as I've been preparing this talk in my head um, and then this week writing it down. And um, so anyway, we went for this walk and then we sat down for lunch. And, and then the answer, apparently, to this talk had been found by Southern Railways 50 or 60 years ago. And they said this, live in Surrey, free from worry. (laughs) I wonder how that's working out for anyone who followed their advice. But let's see what Jesus has to say in Luke 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. And I found myself quite fascinated uh, at this passage, well, this, the, the wider passage, Luke 12, just the interchanges within it. And it came out of the place at the end of Luke 11. Jesus has been to dinner with some Pharisees, and as he usually did when he went to dinner with Pharisees, he told them some home truths, and he ended up kind of running away, and they, it says that they wanted to kill him after that, after that dinner. Um, so Luke 12, it's held at the start, it's really fascinating that there's this massive crowd has gathered, there's thousands of people, and they're trampling on each other, and yet Jesus hones in on the disciples. For the teaching that he gives throughout Luke 12, he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to the whole crowd, he's talking to the disciples. Which I find really interesting. It's like there's a massive crowd. Why would Jesus not talk to the crowd? But he wants to talk to the disciples. And it's probably not the best time to be talking to them. There must have been loads of noise. They must have been struggling to hear. We don't know whether it was the 12 or the wider group. But Jesus is focusing in on the the smaller group, not the crowd. And then, as you might imagine, he's interrupted. Someone shouts, you know, can you arbitrate on a dispute for me? And Jesus seems to shrug him off. But it's a dispute about... And inheritance and whether his brother should share it with him so jesus seems to take that and rolls with it rolls with that theme and makes his next point about greed and possessions and in the middle of this section he talks about worry this familiar section which i'm sure we've all heard about worry despite a large crowd milling around jesus is talking to the smaller group with all that's going on in the world and the busyness of life around us you've all made the decision to be here this morning i think this is for us But why is Jesus talking about worry? Why does he go on to talk about worry? He probably knew it was bad for our health and can lead to the following. Increased heart rate and blood pressure, muscle tension, headaches, stomach aches, insomnia, fatigue, and difficulty concentrating, or anxiety, depression, irritability, difficulty making decisions, avoidance of social situations, and procrastination. I'm sure Bethany's just ticking off how many I display on a regular basis. But the Mental Health Foundation earlier this year published research That said 60% of UK adults had experienced anxiety, which interfered with their daily lives in the prior two weeks. I've heard talk of like an anxiety or a worry epidemic. It's a big problem, and Jesus knew it was bad for our health. Secondly, and probably even more importantly, he knew it can also lead us away from God. It's bad for our faith too. In Mark 4, verse 18, Jesus says, "'Still others like seed sown among thorns.'" hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Tom Wright, the theologian and writer, says, the modern Western world is built on anxiety. You see it on the faces of people hurrying to work. You see it even more as they travel home, tired but without having solved life's problems. Their faces are weary, puzzled, living with the unanswerable question as to what it all means this world thrives on people setting higher and higher goals for themselves and each other so that they can worry all day and all year about whether they will reach them if they do they will set new ones if they don't they will feel they've failed was this really how we were supposed to live i mean maybe you can relate to that maybe it reminds you of someone else but i find it interesting that jesus focuses his call to not worry on food and clothing He doesn't mention health wealth or shelter but then for the people he was talking to that probably was what they were most worried about he's talking to the disciples in luke 10 we'd read about how he sent the 72 out without a purse or a bag or sandals that's some serious traveling light by comparison the message translation talks about what's on the table at meal times or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion he goes on to tell us how loved we are he actually tells us twice reinforcing the point he first compares the ravens and then secondly the wildflowers he reinforces it because we are so loved by god god cares about us so much he contrasts the way of the world and the way of the father and then he flips to what we should do instead seek the kingdom and this is like the ultimate replacement strategy at work here jesus isn't telling them to do something Bad, well he's not telling them to stop doing something he's telling them to do something more positive instead and i'm sure many of us are parents and we'll know the futility of just telling a misbehaving child to stop doing what they're doing because when they find out it's annoying you it's just even more fun to do it even more isn't it But if you can manage to find the miracle of uh, getting them to do something more positive you know it tends to have a much better effect jesus says seek the kingdom and that the father is pleased to give us the kingdom seek it and the father's pleased to give it to us what does it look like what does it look like for us today when the bible talks about heaven it talks about intimacy with jesus we get to see the father we get to be face to face with him and jesus there's worship there's a lack of hunger thirst and sorrow we are all, all pain and trouble is gone and i think we can have that in part on earth luke 10 talks about the kingdom of heaven coming near, we're carriers of the kingdom. When we meet people, the kingdom of heaven comes near, we're ca- carriers of the kingdom. And I think we can have some of this today. It's why God still heals today, God still moves today. It's the kingdom of heaven breaking into earth. As Walter Rauschenbusch says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven, but of transforming the life on earth into the harmony of heaven. That's a pretty amazing, mind blowing thing to seek. I don't know if you worry or what you worry about, but if you're all gonna sit there and tell me you never worry, we probably need to do another sermon series on something else. There are lots of things we can worry about. Health and financial issues are two of the things that I struggle with a lot, and it's all very well trying to focus on seeking the kingdom, but I think there are a few other things we can do as well. The first one, which is to pray. There's the amazing verses in Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 which say do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Always remember a st- sermon one time, a talk one time, and it was talking about the fig tree and how Jesus went to the fig tree and was looking for fruit when there was no fruit. And it wasn't the season for fruit, so there would never have been any fruit. But Jesus was looking for fruit all the same. And I remember the teacher saying, the Spirit brings fruit out of season. The Holy Spirit can bring fruit out of season. When we offer up our worries to God, when we lift them up to heaven, he can send back down that peace which passes all understanding. And the Bible also tells us to pray for each other, particularly in James. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Seek the Lord for your healing. How many stories are there in the New Testament of people seeking Jesus because they wanted healing? Jesus isn't here in person these days, but he's with us by his spirit, and he still heals today. I fully believe that. We can still seek him for our healing. And getting other people to pray for you is so powerful and an important part of that. I don't really know why, I've got no idea, but somehow God seems to work differently when you involve someone else. It can be awkward, it can be emotional, but in my experience it's ultimately better for us. Earlier this year I had a flare-up of some blood clots in the varicose veins in my leg. I'm waiting for an operation to close some veins off, it's all... Rather irritating. Um, But I had a flare-up, and I went to see the GP about it. And they said, well, it's not cleared up like we'd hoped it would, so we want to send you for an ultrasound scan. But then, apparently, they couldn't send me for an ultrasound scan of my veins without doing a blood clot. So Friday lunchtime, I went for a blood test. A blood test, even. Not a blood clot, a blood test. But I went for my blood test on Friday lunchtime, and um, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a phone call from my GP saying, we've got your blood blood test results you need to go to ANE now we think you might have a dvt and I was like okay I'll go to ANE. so I went to ANE, no one thought I had a blood, no one thought I had a dvt but their protocol is until they can scan it they give you you know kind of maximum strength blood thinners and uh, so it turned out I was on these for 10 days until they could get an ultrasound scan to say that I didn't have a dvt uh, all they said to me was, don't bang your head. So uh, I was a bit worried after that. And on Sunday morning, uh, I was in church. And I said, it'd be really great to pray with someone. But you know, again, it was a bit awkward. Eventually, I plucked up the courage to talk to Femi. And you know, Femi, as he was, was lovely. He prayed for me. He said a lot of good things uh, in his prayer. Um, but then afterwards, he said, you know, John, I got this vision while I was praying for you. I got this vision of you walking forward on your own two legs. Uh, and that was really reassuring. You know, when God speaks back... Through someone else. Sometimes that can be really powerful. I, you know, no matter how many prayers I'd said, one to one straight to Jesus, um, I didn't get anything like that back. But talking to Femi, asking Femi to pray, and, you know, just God using Femi to to give me that word, that really helped me worry a a bit less about the whole thing. And um, I'm still waiting for an operation. I'm still praying for miraculous healing of the whole thing. Uh, But, you know, that really helped. Pray. Number two, have faith. You know, it says at the end of verse 28, not you you have little faith. And we don't want to be people of little faith, do we? We want to be people of big faith in a faithful God. So in the summer of 21, another personal story to illustrate my sermon. It seemed like I've got a few of these lined up. Um, in the summer of 21, we were going away on holiday to Cornwall, which was a great holiday. But we were also trying to buy a house, and uh, we couldn't afford a house. So because I was working for a Christian organization at the time, I was able to to work with this charity called Mission Housing who were trying to help us buy a house and we were working with Kingdom Bank it's all all great names uh, Mission Housing and Kingdom Bank but you know there was lots of things that came together to make it happen and someone was giving us some money and that meant our income was going to change for a period and I was just really worried that that the mortgage people were going to say that was going to be a big problem and I thought it was all going to fall apart and I was you know worried about this, so we went on our holiday, and all through it, in the kids' work, they were singing three songs, three great songs, uh, and one of them was um, about how all through history God has been faithful, and um, so that really gave me the courage when I came back to phone the mortgage company, and praise the Lord, they said, yeah, we've had this situation before, it's all fine, and I was like, I wish I'd phoned them before I went on holiday, because I might have enjoyed my holiday a little bit more, um, not having that hanging over me. Uh, But anyway, I thought um, it's helped me. I still hum it sometimes today and think about it. So I've got this song for you if it works. The words are the most important thing, Anthony, if the the visuals don't come up. But I've got the song. Let's listen to the song. And uh, maybe this will help you in the future too. The Bible talks about having childlike faith so if that's all you take from this morning I'll be happy with that thank you oh thank you that all through history you've been faithful thank you I thank you that you are just the same when it comes to me God is a faithful God and if we think back on it we've probably got stories testimonies in our own lives of his faithfulness already and and I hope that will help see you through any times of worry Third thing I can suggest is to dwell on scripture. The Bible is this rich tapestry of things that intersect with each other and it's littered with references you could use to support the teaching that Jesus is giving here and reinforce the message. So there was once a period that the seek first the kingdom is really important to me. I once resolved that I was gonna have to seek first the kingdom with everything I'd got and God was gonna have to give us the things we needed because there just wasn't any other way. but at the time, I also really took to heart Psalm 37 verses 23 to 26. The Lord makes firm the steps of the righteous; of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. As a father and husband, I wanna provide for my family. Uh, Money's been tight for years uh, and but I'm trying to follow Jesus and I can testify that at the moment, we've not had to beg bread and I do hope that my children will grow up to be a blessing. Find your scriptures and hold them dear. Dwell on scripture. Number four, pursue contentment rather than what the world holds dear. In the introduction to day 294 of the Bible in one year, um, I searched for this, I didn't actually read it, on day 294, um, but I thought Nicky Gumbel might have something to say here. Nicky Gumbel says this, Jesus warned us that ultimately, you have to choose between money and God. In the New Testament, there is no ban on private property or making money, or even enjoying the good things in life. The command to the rich, however, is that they do not put their hope in wealth. A selfish accumulation of wealth and an un- unhealthy obsession with material things will never bring contentment what promises security leads to perpetual insecurity. Ultimately, contentment only comes from putting your hope in God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The promise of God's word is that those who put their hope in God find a firm foundation and take hold of the life that is truly life. And you know, as I've been preparing uh, this, as I was thinking about this bit, um, there's just this phrase from a Paddington audiobook came back to me. The kids have listened to it hundreds of times in the car and it's this bit where Paddington's talking to Mr. Curry after some mishap that's befallen him. And Paddington says, I think this is what Mrs. Bird calls a self-inflicted wound. She says you're very good at those. It's sometimes difficult to differentiate between our wants and our needs, It it really is. I think the feeling of entitlement's a big problem in our society at the moment when we see others with more of this or more of that than, than we have, it's difficult to fight that temptation to want the same. The human condition is always to want more. As Barry Humphreys writes in his autobiography, more please, I've always wanted more. I've never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasure or neckties or applause or unquestioning love or persimmons. Who even knows what a persimmon is? of course i've always had more than my share of most of these commodities but it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment where was the rest apparently more pleased was his first coherent utterance friends the only thing we need more of is jesus more of his presence to become more like him i know i'm not very good at that i normally just want to watch more tv godliness with contentment is great gain What's your direction to travel at the moment? Godliness with contentment or more at all costs? Catherine Ashola quoted George Muller the other week and he had some advice for young believers which I think might be helpful here. One, be slow to take new steps in the Lord's service or in your business or in your families. Weigh everything well. Weigh all in the light of Holy Scriptures and in the fear of God. Two, seek to have no will of your own In order to ascertain the mind of god regarding any steps you propose taking so that you can honestly say you are willing to do the will of god if he will only please to instruct you but when you have found out what the will of god is seek for his help and seek it earnestly perseveringly patiently believingly expectantly and you will surely in his own time and way obtain it what can we do about worry we can pray have faith dwell on scripture, and pursue contentment. Now, the little section headings in the Bible weren't there in the original text. And to be honest, I think our verses today were meant to be read in context with 13 to 21 beforehand. This section about worry relates to a wider point about money and the degree to which it has a hold or an influence on us, which is why I think Jesus rounds off in verses 32 to 34, talking about where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. Verses 31, 13 to 21 talk of the worldly way. Store up as much as you can. It's the story of the rich fool. Store up as much as you can to make sure you've got plenty. And with that as the context, Jesus says, Do not worry, before finishing, by exhorting the disciples to not be afraid, to give generously, and to store up treasure in heaven. I think this Tim Keller quote speaks into that. While secular individualism says that your money belongs to you, the Bible says that all your money belongs to God, who then entrusts it to you. You have moral obligations to both God and your neighbor to use your money unselfishly and with great generosity to love others with it, according to both your ability and to their needs. Now you might be familiar with the 80-20 rule or 90-10, depending on which one you subscribe to, but over the past past few years i've often pondered the 51 49 rule no idea if it's a real thing but it's real in my head the thing i most think about was what it would look like for a church to spend 49 percent of its time and resources loving their neighbor but that's for another day the second 51 49 i ponder most links to verse 34 and the balance between giving and saving where your treasure is there your heart will also be and i've got to say i mainly think about this because it's tinged with a bit of regret I once worked for a large American software company which listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange, and this meant share schemes, which when the share price goes up is very, very good for all the employees. Looking back, I took records back then, I prefer to forget these days, but I apparently sold £21,000 worth of shares on one day in June 2007. I mean, thinking about it, in recent years, that's been more than my salary for the whole year. Um, but back then, I did that. And, um, I remember at the time, every, each December, I'd make charitable donations and I'd make sure I gave my 10%. But a lot more went in my bank account. And looking back now, I think I've matured a little bit. Hopefully I've matured a little bit. You can ask Bethany if I've matured at all. Um, I now wish I'd done things differently. I wish I'd trusted God with my money a bit more and given at least 51% of my surplus each year. Where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. And nowadays, with five mouths to feed, it's currently a theoretical question. We give something every month, but we never save anything. It all goes. And I'm not suggesting the 5149 is a hard and fast rule. We should all do it. You won't find it in the Bible. Um, but what I would say is you should ask yourself the question, ask God the question. If you're in the position to save, are you getting the balance of your giving and your saving right? Money isn't our enemy, but the love of money. putting our trust in money is so please could the band start to come back up are you really worried about anything at the moment maybe to the point it's having unwanted side effects where's your focus at the moment are you more focused on seeking the kingdom of god or what the world has to offer as i said earlier i believe there's something so powerful about intercessory prayer and i really want to encourage you today if anything You know, it comes up under those two things for you that you ask someone to pray with you uh, before you leave here today. I can't explain it, but God somehow seems to work differently when you ask someone else to get involved. And I thought I'd just finish by reading the message translation of our passage today. It goes like this. Steep yourself in God reality. He continued this subject with the disciples. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving people who don't know god and the way he works fuss over these things but you know both god and how he works steep yourself in god reality god initiative god provisions you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met don't be afraid of missing out you're my dearest friends the father wants to give you the very kingdom itself be generous give to the poor get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt A bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you'll most want to be and end up being. Friends, the beauty of the Christian life of church is that we don't have to do any of this on our own. My prayer is that we focus on seeking the kingdom together. We store up treasures in heaven together and that way we worry less together.